for me, the most rewarding part of my job would be when a funeral is over and everything's over. When a family comes up to me and says, you made this as easy as it possibly have could been. My loved one or so-and-so would have loved this. It was all about what they wanted. It was about their life and they would have been very, very pleased with it. That's what makes my job worth it. Welcome to the Let Me Walk With You podcast. I am your host, Nicole Polarczyk. I am a support coach who wants to walk with you while you go down this path called life. With the twists, turns, and unexpected events I've experienced, I know I'm not alone when I say it's hard to go through it on your own. I want to be the person I needed through those times for you. Weekly, I will bring you an episode about my journey and where I'm going. Come on, take a walk with me. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let Me Walk With You podcast. I am your host, Nicole, and tonight we have another special guest coming on. This is a young woman that I found on TikTok just scrolling through, and I was like, yep, We're going to talk to her. This is completely up my alley, what we need to have on the podcast. And her name is Alicia, and she goes by Mortuary Magic on TikTok. So if you'd like to say hello. Hi, everyone. No, right. It's so exciting to have you on. Um, Obviously, by the title, Mortuary Magic, you are somewhere. Yes in this field. So if you would like to say your profession. So yes, I am a mortician. So that means that I am a funeral director and an embalmer. Okay. So let's not scare anyone off about what the topics are going to talk (laughs) about. Nothing off the wall tonight. I can't promise that in the future, but tonight (laughs) I just really wanted to just go over a couple of things. Like I've always wondered for myself, because when I lost my mom and my dad, especially with my mom, because that was my first experience, like going into a funeral home as someone that actually has to talk to these people and do everything, you know, like when I was little going to a funeral home, it was just for a funeral. It wasn't for, okay, now I have to plan something and I have nowhere like where to begin and I have to say, in all my experiences, everyone's been so nice and, like, so accommodating. So what general info could you give about your profession if someone was like, hmm, I've always wondered about that, but I don't know if it would be for me. Like, what – if you had to, like, do a little synopsis about your job, what would you say? So to categorize my job in total – I would say that you're going to have to be comfortable around deceased. And that's like kind of a vague thing to say, but it is the truth. Like if you can't go to a funeral and actually view someone, if it's too hard for you, this industry is not for you, obviously. For people who want to pursue in this industry, I tell them before going to school, before sinking all this money into it, work at the funeral home for three or four months. See if you even like it. 
because people generally think they want to do this until they realize that we work through holidays. We work on the weekends. We Our time off is not guaranteed. So I tell these people, go get a job. All you got to do is go to a local funeral home, ask if they have any openings. If they do, they'll get you started real easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's true. I mean, death doesn't, like, go on your schedule. I mean, things are going to happen and you're going to have to. Yeah, do something. There's been plenty of holidays that's rolled around that I've got to leave my family on a holiday to go deal with someone else's family. Mm-hmm. So if you are wanting like an eight to five job that doesn't work on the weekends and doesn't work on holidays, this is not the industry that you want to be in. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I get that, you know, and I mean, I, it does take a certain person just alone to be able to be comfortable with a deceased person, Mm -hmm. you know, not everyone is comfortable and not everyone can even view a body at a funeral. I mean, I've been to plenty where people can't go up there and view at all. I tell people it's one thing to be fascinated by the industry. It's another thing to actually work in it. Mm -hmm. There's a very big difference. So I tell people just because you're fascinated by it does not necessarily mean it's something that you might be personally cut out to do. Mm -hmm. It's not for everyone. That is the only thing I can say about that. It's definitely not for everyone. Exactly. That's, I mean, I've thought about it once I, you know, was at the funeral home and talking to the director and everyone that I was talking to. For a second, it was like, oh, this might be interesting to do. But then I was like, I don't know if I could separate my personal experience from the everyday work, right? Like, I don't know if I would be able to separate the two, if I would be triggered by something. I don't know. You know, being like yeah, such a that, that does person. happen a lot. <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot. There are things that happen throughout day to day life when I'm not at work that will trigger an emotion from something I've experienced at work or had to deal with at work. And it can be hard to separate yourself from your job. It's just something that takes a lot of time in order to deal with. Now, what brought you to this career? So it's actually kind of different how I ended up in this career. I don't have family involved in the business. It's not a business I was born into. I'm the only person in my entire family that's a mortician. My mother wanted to do this for a living and did not have the means to pursue a a degree in it at the time. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. She told me that she always wanted to be a mortician. And I asked her what that was. And she's like, and she told me, she's like, you should work for the funeral home. I actually told her she was crazy that I wouldn't do that. (laughs) But I was like, I'll get a job working there until I can figure out what I want to do. And I ended up falling in love with the profession. And the more I thought about it, I was, uh, I said, I I wanted to go into the ministry of some kind. And I do believe this is a ministry. So I found my calling in a place that I did not necessarily think that I would, but I am very, very glad that I made the choice to pursue this. That's interesting, actually. Yeah, that, you know, it's something your mom wanted to do and then you fell into it. And 
it does take a special person. I do think that it is like a ministry in itself doing this. And I mean, you have just as much impact on the family as anyone else. And I mean, you're dealing with them at their most vulnerable state. At least I know that from my experience, you know. Yes. Emotions run very, very high. Yeah. Um, And you're seeing them before, in my experience, before you even go to, depending on your religion, to the church mm -hmm. and whatnot to even start that part. So if they weren't seeking any support from a religious figure prior and then they're coming to you you already you have to have that kind of mindset and that skill set at first you know because for me I mean yeah Yeah, and there's anyone yeah and there's a big misconception as well that when someone dies that you have to have a pastor you have to have Mm -hmm. a preacher like in, in, in life, not everyone's religious. So if you're not religious, mm-hmm. you don't have to have a pastor at your funeral. That's not necessary. It's whatever your loved one would have wanted done. That's what you do. I say a funeral is for the living, not for the deceased. It's a way for the family to learn to cope with what's happened. So funerals are really for the survivors, not really the deceased. Mm-hmm. It, it is to help the family get some kind of closure. While nothing's going to heal it, you can get some kind of closure from from a celebration of life to celebrate your loved one's life. So mm-hmm. if they weren't religious and in, in, while they were here on earth, then you don't have to make their funeral religious either. It's completely up to you. Yeah, I've dealt with that. Like last year, I had a close family friend passed away and she was really close to me just through my parents. And she was not really a religious person. And the times that we had talked and stuff, I mean, she had a heart attack and passed away up and out of nowhere. And, but her family was like adamant about having it be a religious graveside service. And I don't know, I just felt a little off doing it that way because I know it's not what she wanted. You know, I kind of think, mm-hmm. that, like you said, they, they weren't so religious in their life then why try to do something at the end that maybe that they wouldn't have really wanted that's like what happened with me I had to do something that I know she really wouldn't have wanted but it was to appease her surviving family and it was because Mm -hmm. I was in charge she wasn't close with her family so I did have the final say but kind of like you pick your battles and it really wasn't a time to be like saying anything so I just kind of went along with it you know yeah that's where my job gets difficult is trying to appease everyone and you're not gonna make everybody happy mm-hmm. but usually people can talk things out and some and come to some kind of census to just make things go the way they need to go so that's the, that's the case 90% of the time which is a good thing Yes. I mean, I've seen it go both ways, luckily. I mean, for me, I'm an only child, so planning my mom's stuff was just kind of like my say. I did have my uncle helping me, but it was kind of like, you just do what your mom would want. 
with my father. My mom had everything situated prior to him passing away. And he didn't want anything at all. Mm -hmm. He had nothing. All we did for him was at the funeral home, they put his urn out. And I came to see it. His mother, my grandmother, she came to see it. And that was it. And then they drove it over to the cemetery and buried it next to my mom. Like, that was all he wanted. He probably would have just wanted to be buried and not have a viewing of any sorts, even though it was just an urn. But we just did that, you know? So I I get it. It's unfortunately, and I'm sure you've seen this, the death of a loved one can sometimes bring out the best in people, but also the worst in people sometimes. And it's unfortunate that that happens because you think that at a time when families should come together, there are instances where family pulls apart. And yes, it's unfortunate that that happens. You know, I've experienced that. And I was randomly thinking about that the other night. And I was just like, because someone said something, my regular job, and I was like, it's unfortunately, it's true. You know, you, everyone should be leaning on each other and supporting each other and just getting each other through it. But petty things come into play and, you know, and I've seen it in my own personal life where, I mean, it can like tear people apart for like years where they have these instances that happen after someone passed away and it just gets unnecessary and it causes a lot of strife in families, unfortunately. But I don't want to talk about that part. That's, you know, yeah, that's a little deep. (laughs) Yeah. And we said we wasn't going to go too deep. So (laughs) I know we weren't going to go too deep. So just from my experience, but do you have a different outlook? on death now that you are in this profession then like you know so say when you were younger because before when you were in high school like has your perception changed for me in my case not really I did lose a lot of classmates in high school at a young age due to various reasons Mm -hmm. my outlook has never changed but what I know What I know I need to have an order at a young age has changed. Before I started in this business, if you would have told me in my 20s, like, hey, you need to look into life insurance, I'd have been like, that doesn't apply to me. I'm young. It doesn't matter. You know, I would have never really thought about those kind of things. Having my final wishes in order, I'd have never thought about that if I would not have been in this business. Mm -hmm. So my outlook on death has not changed. I was raised in a religious household. So my outlook has not changed, but the things that I need to have in order have changed. My outlook on death has changed that I have realized that it can happen to anyone at any age. Mm -hmm. Uh, Death does not have an age limit. So that has changed as well. Agreed. My perception of, so my mom passed away when I was 33. So I have to say at 33, I didn't feel Like I was 33. Like I didn't, I wasn't, you know, not married, no kids. So 
I wasn't really like I was adulting, but I really wasn't like adulting. You know, I was just living my life for myself, you know. So when my mom got sick and taking care of her. And then when she passed away, I felt like I aged and I just like aged so much. And I was like, what am I doing? Like life insurance is real. Like I should have this. I should have things in order. So God forbid something happened to me. Like I should have what I want medically for myself. I should have something saying I don't want to be like a DNR and a DNI, but I should have something legally done. So I have it, you know, and those aren't things you think of. And even with my mom, that wasn't something she was even thinking of, you know, at 60 when she was diagnosed, she wasn't thinking of it, but it's something she did right away because she just wanted to make sure if it got to that point, she didn't want anything done that she didn't, you know, she didn't want any extended measures done. She wanted to make sure that was in writing, you know, it's like a health directive is what it's called, a health directive. And yes, people don't think about anything like that until a situation directly affects them personally. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I was 18, I was like three days into working in the funeral industry. My brother is a suicide survivor. So he shot himself and he lived And in that instant, I went from a child to an adult overnight because I was having to work. I was having to be my parents' shoulder to cry on. I was having to fix everything at home while they were at the hospital with him. And overnight, I went from being 18 to an adult. Mm -hmm. And the thought had crossed my mind is what's going to happen if he didn't make it? What would we do to pay for anything? Or did he even have life insurance? All of that crossed my mind. And then when I found out that he was going to live, I asked my parents, I was like, does he even have life insurance? She said, yes, but, you know, we don't know what if it had paid or not due to the circumstances. And I was like, you know, I've never thought about that, not until it directly impacted my life. And there was a possibility of it. Did I even consider my brother 16 years old? Like stuff like that doesn't happen to to young people. Mm -hmm. And of course, that changed everything for me. It changed the way I viewed things. It it changed what I realized I needed to have in order for my life. But for people who's never lost anyone or even had a situation to where they almost lost someone, Mm -hmm. they don't think about it. No. No, you don't think about it. And after my mom passed away, I became like a health directive spokesperson, I think. I just was telling everyone about it. I was like, you should have this. I was like, just in case. I was like. You know, I said, for me, I'm an only child, so I don't really have anyone to, like, go over, like, hey, what do we do if this happens? But, you know, I had a couple coworkers and, you know, they're in their 40s and 50s and they had multiple kids. And I said, you know, I said, I have my own view on this because I'm an only child, but this would just alleviate so much wonder, worry curiosity for your kids at the time like if something was to happen like if one was like we're gonna put her on life support and the other one was like she wouldn't want that you have it in writing saying exactly what you want to a t and what your your plan is and i just think that's important you know i just think 
whether it be your plans, yeah, your health directive, your funeral, whatever you want to have, it should be the way you want it to be. You know, you should have, you want something big, you want something small, you don't want to be resuscitated, you don't want to be kept on a feeding tube. Have those things written up because it just, I mean, at times when I was lost and confused about just sitting there with my mom and dealing with what I was dealing with, you know, I would think like, I wouldn't know what to do if she didn't have this piece of paper or she didn't kind of already have this discussion with me in a way. You know, I think that even in general, if it's a discussion, people don't have those kind of discussions unless, like you said, you experience it firsthand. You know, most people are like, I don't want to talk about anything associated with death. I don't want to talk about it. You know, like that happens a lot. People come in. And I asked them, okay, what was your loved one's wishes? Well, Mm -hmm. I don't know. They wouldn't talk about it. Death wasn't something they talked about. And I tell people all the time, like my friends and the people that I know personally that tell me, oh, we just don't talk about that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, unless you go with the rapture, death is inevitable. It's Mm -hmm. going to happen regardless if you don't want to talk about it or not. So you might as well be prepared and have your family know what you want done then for them to come in and say, we don't know anything. We don't know what they would want. We don't know if she wants or he wants burial, cremation. We don't know. So I think it's better to tell somebody and have something done in writing or to have a pre-planned funeral. That mm-hmm. way somebody knows what your final wishes are. Yeah, I just, that's so important. And I know for people listening, I hope that this is like sparking something where maybe you feel like, okay, maybe I should have this discussion with someone, you know, anyone. Like our family friend that passed away, it was weird. Like over the previous summer before she passed away, you know, she called me and she left me a message and she's like, I have to talk to you tonight. It's serious. I'm going to talk to you about something. And I was like, crap, what is she going to tell me? Like, what, what is so serious? And that's what it was. She wanted to be like, okay, I did my will. You're my beneficiary. You're going to be my executor. You're my POA right now, by the way. Like, you're in charge of everything. And I said, oh, okay. And she's like, this is kind of like what I want, but we'll go over that at a later date. You know, and unfortunately, that later date never came. So there was some things that I just had to pull out of thin air and hope for the best. But, you know, it's even, yeah, just having that first initial conversation. And if you're someone that's uncomfortable, yeah, about having that conversation, then you can go to a lawyer to have stuff written up. You can go, like you said, and do a pre-planned funeral. You know, that's what my mom did with my dad because she felt like she was going to pass away. At first she thought he'd pass away first, but then at, with her cancer, she kind of was like, "All right, I'm just going to take care of this myself." 
And she took care of it ahead of time because she didn't want me to worry about it and think about it. So she just did the pre-planned route for him. And all I had to do when he passed away was hand them the folder with everything in it. And we were done. It was paid. It was ready to go. (laughs) You know, there was no worry. All I had to really worry about was the obituary, just editing a couple things. That was it. You know, and I think that's helpful, too, for people to just, yeah, go that route. You already have everything done. You have your say. You can even draft up what your obituary should look like and what you want in there. And a couple tweaks will probably have to be done, but it's all a possibility. I knew someone that I worked with, and that's something that her and her husband did. They went and they planned their funerals one weekend, like on a whim. She's like, yeah, we went. And we had an appointment and we just, yeah, we planned everything already. So she's like, I feel no stress. And I'm like, well, that's nice. I'm like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) all right. I was like, you know, I don't know. I'm not there yet to think to do that, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'm all into energetics and stuff and I don't want to put that out there. So, (laughs) but yeah, I'm not there yet. So what for you? is the most rewarding part of your job? Like what, when you go home, you're like, okay, that, that was good. That was, that's why I'm doing this. For me, the most rewarding part of my job would be when a funeral is over and everything's over. When a family comes up to me and says, you made this as easy as it possibly have could been my loved one or so-and-so would have loved this. It was all about what they wanted. It was about their life and they would have been very, very pleased with it. That's what makes my job worth it. In my opinion, to give the family the final closure they need to make it easier for the family, but overall for have the deceased, even the family say the deceased would have been more than happy with their celebration of life that they would have loved every aspect of it. That makes me come home at night and say, while there are days that are difficult to do what I do, that's what makes it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to say the, you know, the funeral home that I dealt with, I dealt with it for each. So there was three, you know, times I had to use them. And yeah, I couldn't have been like happier with, the director that I would deal with and I dealt with a different director each time. And I mean, the second time it was for my dad and I had to sign paperwork and stuff and I just couldn't get to her in time. Like she literally drove to my house and was like, yeah, we'll just sign some stuff right now here. And I was like, thank you. I'm like, (laughs) that just makes it so much easier because I just couldn't get There's two funeral homes, two different towns, but they're together. And I was like, I just couldn't get over to you like today. So yeah, like coming all the way to my house, just to have me sign one piece of paper, you know, just very kind, very nice and just super helpful. And because with my mom, I was so, this was like the first time dealing with everything. I had so many questions, you know, and the guy like, He gave me like his cell phone number and he's like, literally just text me any question that you possibly have. He's like, nothing is something I probably haven't heard before. He's like, 
just text me. And I was like, thank you. I was like, because I had so many just random things coming to mind that I'm like embarrassed to ask, but I'm like, I have to ask because I don't know. And I'm not going to Google all this stuff, you know, and he was just super helpful, like so helpful. And I even like wrote him like a little letter after, you know, just thank you for really like taking your time with me and, you know, helping me through the process of just, I'm so knowledge based. Like I have so many questions and I'm just, it's like curiosity. Like I I just need to know and I have to catalog Mm -hmm. it and file it in here. I said, just thank you for like listening to all my crazy things that I was asking you about this whole thing just so I could understand it. And yeah, he was like, anytime. I mean, it was literally to the point where I was like reading the, like the booklet that I got for like all the different, like for burial and for cremation. And they had it categorized by like some different religions and like what's customary in different religions. And I was reading that and I was like texting him, like, is this really someone, what someone does? Like, is the family really there when you guys like go to cremate and like putting it in? And he's like, yes, in some religions that is. And I was like, okay. I said, I didn't know that. I was like, I didn't know that. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. That's one thing. When you go to mortuary school, you have to take, I call it basically a religions class. That's not what it's really called. But you have to learn about the way every religion does different things. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very long class. But the other thing that you said about him being willing to give you his cell phone number and talk, that's amazing. I do that as well for people. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that fun- us as funeral directors, we build relationships with families. I have families that I could walk through Walmart that I buried their loved one three years ago that I'll be like, oh, well, how's your aunt? I know she had a hard time. Is she doing better? Like we pick up with families. Mm -hmm. I have one of my closest friends. It became actually because I buried one of her relatives. And in a sense, I kind of feel like we're, we're, we're more like counselors as well. Even though we don't Mm -hmm. have a license to be a counselor, we are to an extent because people will confide in us about things. We'll give them advice on what they should do as far as grieving or dealing with things. And that blossoms into a relationship. Yeah, that's, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing as a death doula. I don't have a certified, I can get a certification. Let me clarify that. I don't need one, but not a counselor because I don't have that. But you are a counselor. Like I'm taking my personal experience and using it to help you, to listen, to guide you, to do whatever I can do. I don't want to say to make it easier, but it's to make it more of a smoother process, essentially. You know, I've yes. been through it. And, you know, I don't have an age limit on the people I would want to work with, but you know, I always say I want to be the person I needed at that time because I needed an outside source, not someone so in my circle. I needed someone out of it to just listen or to just acknowledge me and just let me cry, let me vent, let me 
I don't know, go get a cup of coffee with me. Just something out of the realm of what I was doing every day. You know? Yes. My motto is the best counselors are the counselors who've been through the same things that you've been through. While the situation not might not be identical, they mm-hmm. do have certain similarities. So I am a big advocate for, you know, willing to let people come to me and ask me any kind of crazy question or what they think is crazy. I tell people all the time, there's no such thing as a crazy question in my industry. There's really not. I've heard mm-hmm. everything that there is to possibly hear. But I'm also a big advocate for for mental health because of the fact that we deal with so many people who, after losing someone, it takes a toll on their mental health and they don't know where to go or what to do from that point. Mm-hmm. So my platform on TikTok is a big mental advocate platform, not only for my brother's situation, but for everybody who struggles mm-hmm. with mental health. I myself struggle with it. So I love the fact that I can be an advocate for that at work also while helping people. That's, I mean, I agree with that. That's why I started this whole thing. It was, I mean, I was stuck in such like a dark place after I lost my mom and then dealing with my dad because my dad was still alive, but his health was really declined and he was in a a nursing home. And just dealing with all of that, it was it was hard because at the time when my mom passed away, I was never able really to tell my dad my mom passed away because of his mental state. He had histories of strokes and short-term memory loss and he had dementia. So if you would have asked my dad a month or two prior to my mom passing away about her, he would say she died. So in his mind, she passed away before she ever really did. And when it really happened, I couldn't talk to him about it. Like I couldn't talk to the one person who could grieve with me on the same level. I couldn't tell him. So I had to put on a brave face just to go into his room and sit with him because he could tell just by the tone of my voice if there was something wrong. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to just tuck that away each time. And that was hard because he was in the same nursing home that she passed away at. So every time I went to visit him, I was triggered because that's where she passed away. And it was where she worked, actually. So it was like I was just getting hit every time I went there, you know. And even after he passed, I mean, I was in a bad way for a while for years and little by little you have to pick up the pieces as much as you can and that's why I started basically like your dad kind of grieved for your mother while she was still living that happens a lot Mm -hmm. I myself am one of them people when my brother was in the hospital for the first couple of days they said no we can't promise you anything I, if I would not have been in this industry, I would not have recognized what I was doing. But at the time I sat down and realized, I said, I am grieving for someone who is alive. He's not gone. And there's a chance he might not be gone. And when my family came to me and said, why are you grieving for someone who's not gone? They was like, he could still live. I said, the only thing I can think about 
is because if it does happen, then it, it might not hurt as bad. That's the mm-hmm. only thing I can think of. And luckily he didn't die. But I went through the five stages of grief right then and there in the matter of a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I realized at that moment, I said, if he would have passed away, I'd have been the only one who could have told the funeral home what happened, what we wanted, because everybody else would have just started their grieving process. Mm-hmm. So I am mm-hmm. one of them people who grieve for someone, even though they might not be gone, they might live, or even if I know they're going to pass, I'll grieve for them while they're alive. And it is a trait and it is a thing that some people do. And not necessarily that they mean to do it because mine was not intentional. It's mm-hmm. just something that happens sometimes. But it is completely normal for that to happen. Yeah, it's like like a coping mechanism that, yeah, you just subconsciously do. You know, I mean, I think when I was younger, I did that. Like, with my first experience of death, I lost my grandmother when I was eight. And I think after that point, I just became accustomed to it to where I would almost like I was grieving all my grandparents even though they were still alive I was like mentally going through things now yeah I know it was like stages of grief but then of course you don't know that when you're younger but I was just like Mm -hmm. preparing myself and it was a coping mechanism just to save myself because my mom would say when I had gone through the other deaths and stuff of my grandfather and then my other grandfather, she's like, you're just so solid. And I'm like, because I've already dealt with it, you know? Yes, it was a shock when it happened, but my like I've already kind of processed things. I was prepared for it, you know? My mom and my dad, I was not prepared for because my mom came out of nowhere with her diagnosis of cancer that came out of left field. And I don't know. I kind of take that back from my dad with his health just declining for years. Excuse me. I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't think he would outlive my mom, which he did. I didn't think that. So that, Mm -hmm. you know, my mom would joke about that a lot. She'd say, I'm going to die first and I'm going to leave you to deal with your dad. You can deal with him. And I'd say, no, don't say that. That's awful. And my dad would laugh about it. Like, oh, you're going to have to deal with me and I'm not going to be fun and all this other stuff. And he wasn't. He was not a treat to deal with at the end. (laughs) It was difficult and it was no fault of his. It was just the disease, you know. It was the dementia. It wasn't him. You know, you go through separating that, the real person versus the disease that they have when it's, you know, who he was. And I tell people, yeah, and I tell people as well all the time. I'm like, when the funeral's over, that doesn't mean that you stop calling that person. Like, just Mm -hmm. because the funeral's over does not mean they're going to go back to life as normal and everything's going to be fine. Because when the funeral's over, That's when the mental health stuff starts. That's when your mental health can start to decline. Like I said, my brother is alive. By the grace of God, he is alive. Mm -hmm. But after all of that, that's when my mental health started to go. That's whenever I became angry and mad and sad. And I blamed people, other people, for what he done. And it took a downhill spiral from there. 
luckily where I work, my funeral home, I work at, none of us are related, but we are a family because Mm -hmm. they rallied behind me and they were like, listen, if you need a month off, three months off, we'll do whatever you need to, to have done. Mm -hmm. Like just bring the old you back because it's hard to see you like this. So luckily through my family, through them, we were able to get me the help that I needed for my mental health to help me to deal with what had happened. Cause it can be extremely hard to talk about things that you've been through mm-hmm. or the situation. And when you're very, very angry, it's also extremely hard to talk to someone about it. Cause you're just going to come off real hateful, even though you don't mean to be. Yeah. But having a support system after the funeral is the biggest thing in my opinion. I agree with that. And I mean, I commend you just for, you know, at that age, knowing you needed to get help and being open to it, because I don't Mm -hmm. think a lot of people at that age are willing to, one, admit, okay, something's not right and this needs to be addressed because this this is no good, Mm -hmm. you know, and two, just being like, I'm going to do this the best way possible. I'm not going to go and take other routes, unfortunately, which, you know, can have deadly consequences in themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, when people, when you're running away from those mental struggles that you're having and you're just running away and you want to, people that do drugs or they drink or whatnot, you're just numbing it and you're just suppressing it and that's all you're doing you know it's going to come back and it's going to come back a lot worse each and every time Mm -hmm. you just have to be open and be strong enough to just say okay I need help I'm going to talk to somebody and there's no shame in that at all yes I have had plenty of people come back to me two three weeks after the funeral's over And say, hey, I'm struggling with this mentally and I don't think that it's normal for me to and I need help. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, first off, everybody in their life is going to go through at some point a mental downhill decline. Mm -hmm. And I will forever believe that everybody on the face of the planet at some point has had a bad mental health experience. If they don't, if they say they don't, I think they're lying, just to be honest, because I, I just think it's human nature. And if you think that way, that that's okay. Like, you just need to get the help you need. And that's, there's nothing wrong with coming to someone and saying that. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with going to a funeral provider, someone who provided a funeral for you and say, hey, this is what's going on. I need somebody. Because we do have counselors we can recommend. We do have people who can help. All people have to do is just say, hey, I need it. And we're more than welcome to to oblige and help in any way we can. And that's where being compassionate in my job, you have you have to be compassionate. You have to be willing to listen to people. And you have to be willing to lend a helping hand to someone who really needs it. Where I work, we offer a, a hotline that's free for a year. Oh, wow. And they can set you up in, in touch with a counselor as well. Or I know counselors personally who, if a family says, I need to see somebody I need, and, I, and I need to see someone now, it's like, I can have you an appointment in two hours. I just need you to tell me. And so I condone people who come to me and say that because I tell them that that's the first process in healing is to tell mm-hmm. someone that something is wrong. And that's the first step. Yeah. Like your job doesn't end 
after the funeral. I mean, you are going above and beyond. And I don't think people realize that, you know, that some, like, I wouldn't have even thought of that myself to call them after the fact to Mm -hmm. get extra support or help, whatever I was looking for. So, yeah, I just think that's amazing. I mean, you have to really, yes, being compassionate is huge. And I mean, this is your life. I mean, this is like a lifestyle because this doesn't end. You know, like Mm -hmm. you you can get called at any point in time and you have to step into action. So it's really like Mm -hmm. you just have to shut off everything else that's going on and be, this is like where I'm at right now. This is my Mm -hmm. focus, you know, and that does take a special person to do that. So great job. Yeah. I noticed that I started, I started actually mentioning the hotline to people when they originally come in to make arrangements because people don't know that funeral homes offer that kind of thing because it's not Mm -hmm. really advertised, but I have started mentioning it when families come in. I'm like, if y'all need it in the future, just as a reference, there's a hotline we offer for free for a year. You can call and talk to someone. You can give them your name. You can say you can stay anonymous, but it's someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so I've started out with that now because I didn't realize that so many people didn't know that funeral homes offer those kind of things. Yeah, that's. So that's a good tip out there, too. If they don't tell you to ask. Because yes, that would be extremely helpful. And I can even say from personal experience that probably would have been helpful, not for my questions like I was texting him, but for just the other stuff like after that I was dealing mm-hmm. with and all those feelings associated with it. Yeah, Definitely. That's making me think now because that, yeah, that would have just come in such a <laughs> at the time for me. Like my mom, she was in hospice, but considered only for like a day and they had offered stuff. But at the time I was just in, in, when they first approached me, it was the day that she was passing. It's where she was like in the process. And I just was not in the mindset to be dealing with that at the time. And that's what they were there for was like to talk with me and help me and stuff. But at the time, I was not in that space. That was not where I was. I was like annoyed and angry that they were trying to take time away from me being with my mom because I just wanted to sit by her. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to have any discussion with anybody. And then I just never dealt with them again. And for me, I think it's funny now because that's what I want to do. But in my own Mm -hmm. way. So that's like the other point for me is like, I get it. Like you could be really angry and you don't want to see me right now, but I'm here if you need me. (laughs) Like I'm here. (laughs) I get super, I always get super nervous before I walk walk into like a family's home or a nursing home facility, anywhere that I know the family's present. Mm -hmm. I always, I've been in this business six years and I still get nervous walking in there because I know I have to ask them questions that they can either take one of two ways. They can either be willing to sit down and answer my questions because they knew it was coming. They were expecting it or they can be extremely hateful and not want to talk to me and pretty much brush me off and be angry at me. 
And if that's the case, I tell them, listen, we'll just call you guys in the morning. You know, I'm not going to press the situation. But but when from our perspective, we don't really know what we're walking into. Mm -hmm. We don't know what their emotions are at that moment. So we kind of have to. I say improvise kind of on the spot situations, because yeah. like I said, we don't really know what we're walking into. Yeah, because I think is it most experiences, at least that if the person passes away at the hospital or at home or at like a nursing facility, it's that facility that reaches out to you. First, it's not the family, it's usually the facility that reaches out to you to tell you to come to pick them up. At least in my experience, that's what it was. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed your time and desire more content, it would mean a lot if you could leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe. You are welcome to join me on Instagram at Nicole Polarczyk. You can also join my free Facebook group called Let Me Walk With You Community. I can't wait to share more with you next week. And remember, you are not alone. I am here to walk with you.